Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Ohio Martial Arts Mind Power. Today's talk was taken from one of my live meditation classes, and it was a bit of a windy day, and I was trying out my new microphone windsock, which didn't work out very well. But nonetheless, I think you can hear all of the information. And what I'm going to talk about today is the deepest reason for studying martial arts and the deepest reason for practicing forms within the martial arts. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope it's of benefit to you. Thanks for listening in. So let's go ahead and get started today. So I have a, a couple of questions that I wrote down. One of the things that has been talked about a lot lately because of all the current world situations that's going on in martial arts is the subject of kata or the subject of forms. I know uh, Sifu has been a big proponent of it. I was raised in uh, under the philosophy that there is no karate without kata. So I thought I would take a little bit of time and explain a little bit about what kata is and give you my perspective on it. And for some of you in, in the dojo are interested in it, I'd be happy to share that information with you in, in any way that we can. Um, I think the most important thing is to, for people to have a deep understanding of what kata really is and how it was created and, and what it meant to the karate people of the past and then you kind of know where I'm coming from and then you'll get an insight into why I teach the way that I teach and sometimes I share and sometimes maybe not as much but there's reasons for all of it it's all thought out it's not just something by accident so I'll go into that a little bit with you so first I want to tell you a story of uh, being in the 1980s really the super probably 1981 maybe 82 maybe 83 something like that um, I used to every year go out to Phoenix, Arizona and uh, go to Osensei Triaz's uh, international seminar. Now, his seminar was for his style of karate, Shuru karate, which I was literally as a kid grew up in and was around and, and fell in love with. And some of the most marvelous people that I've ever met in my life came from that lineage of teaching. And what was wonderful about going out to Arizona was it was sort of like that national convention where everybody gets together and then the master would kind of point the direction of the style. And that direction, whatever he taught, whatever was going on at that clinic, and there was hundreds of people there, but that was the direction that we would all sort of move in for the year. And this went on for, for a long time. And what was really interesting though was I noticed the style would would change. Like the master would get on an airplane, he'd go to Thailand, he'd see something new and he'd go, this is great, and he'd integrate it in. And there were other things that were sort of outdated that he would integrate out. Now we were always kind of taught that these old katas were centuries old and that unbroken history and this is what the kata and this is what the form was and this is the lineage. But even in a 10 year period of time, the forms were gradually changing. They were changing to information that had been lost before, new information that had been added in, and we always saw that as a great thing. It is a good thing. But it also came to the point where I began to realize that it wasn't that the movements in the kata themselves were magical. It wasn't like they were like a secret incantation and that if you followed the formula exactly right, then you would meet this mystical state of enlightenment that everybody was sort of after. It really had to do with you and your relationship to the form. Now, when we were out in Arizona, back in the early 1980s, 
one day, for the first time ever that we had seen it, somebody brought in a camera to record some of the old forms. And I remember a debate that went on at the seminar. The high ranks got together and there was a serious debate and in fact sometimes a little bit of a angry discussion of the morality and the ethics of filming kata. And the argument was simple. Kata was about a relationship between a teacher and a line of teaching and an individual student. It shouldn't be recorded so that somebody could learn the form from videotape. That form should have been taught directly from student to teacher. Now, in the world that we live in, I don't think that that's necessarily true, but I just wanted to give you a perspective of the, the vast difference in the way that people looked at forms. You see, in karate, there were many times throughout human history where the art was not allowed to be practiced. It was illegal. It was punishable by prison, and maybe even worse in some instances. So the only way that karate could be recorded would be a master would take the movements that were important to him and he would put them in a package, these 36 movements, or these 42 moves, or these 19 moves, and then those movements would be taught in sequence so that they could be passed on to the student rather than writing it down so there would be no physical evidence of karate ever being taught, and the student would practice those movements in memory of the master. Well, of course, in the age of information, it doesn't really make sense to do that anymore, and I don't think that that kind of information is going to go anywhere anytime soon. Plus, when you consider the fact that the movements themselves have so dramatically changed over the years, they've been changed as the art evolved and so on. So then the next natural question is, is then, then what would be the purpose of doing kata in today's age? Well, the purpose is, is to have a practice that you can gain a relationship with. So I always have believed that whatever your mindset is, for example, if you were a painter and your mindset was uh, one of, of excitement and eagerness and fun and joyous expression, that an onlooker later on, maybe even years later, that sees the painting that you created can feel the energy or the vibration that's coming from that particular painter. And I believe that if you have a sequence of moves, whether I teach you a formal kata, which is probably changed from the time that I learned it, because they change all the time, or whether you create your own sequence of movements, it's your relationship with those sequence of movements that has its value. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that kata is really about a meditational practice. It's a physical, moving meditation that allows you to practice as an individual. And I guess that's the final thing I wanted to say about kata, is kata is really about an individual relationship. One person, nothing in the hands, alone, practicing their martial arts. Because in today's world of sports, and by the way, if you have a few people are getting together tonight to watch some exciting sporting events, it's one of the only sporting events that's around, and we love that, we love competition, we love people being able to train to the highest levels. But there's a place in martial arts for one person alone in a field to be able to practice. And that's what kata allows you to do. So whether it's something that I share with you, whether it's something you pick up from one of the videos on the internet, 
or whether it's something you create on your own, that probably should be a good part of your practice. The last thing I want to say about kata, if you really want to get the deepest understanding of what forms are, I want to recommend a book. Um, the nice thing about the book is it's so short you can probably read it in less than half an hour. Um, I used to tell people when I would talk about this book, they could go when Barnes & Noble is open and uh, you know just stand in front of the book racks and read it while you're in the store and put it away. Uh, I don't recommend that you do that once they get open. Give them as much business as you can. But the name of the book is Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And if you want to really understand the essence of kata, probably the first chapter or two or three of that book will explain better than any martial art book I've ever read what the meaning of kata is. But I will tell you the short story of Jonathan. Jonathan is a seagull, and all of the other seagulls, just like Jonathan, live a life of being scavengers. They gather together in large groups on the trash heap and dig and fight each other and peck at each other in the hope of getting a scrap of garbage to eat. And one day Jonathan says, Life is not about digging on a scrap heap. Life is about excellence. And so Jonathan decides the most important thing for him to do in the world is to fly. Now, for our analogy as martial artists, let's say instead of flight, the most important thing in the world is to practice our art. So Jonathan steps away from the trash heap and he goes off to practice. And all the other goals make fun of him and they say, Jonathan, you're gonna go hungry. If you don't fight with the rest of us, you're never gonna get anything to eat. And as the story goes, Jonathan's ribs become exposed because he does get very skinny. But instead, he just decides to practice. And he practices, and he practices, and he practices. And at some point, Jonathan discovers that if he bends his wings a certain way, he can fly faster. If he bends his wings and dives at the same time, he can fly faster still. Soon, he's the fastest seagull on the planet. A very hungry seagull, but a very, very, very fast one. And at some point, he discovers that if he bends his wing at just the right angle and dives, he can hit the water faster than any other seagull and when he hits the water he goes under the surface and lo and behold he finds all the big fish so in a way what we're saying is is that our practice our content we can just forget about all the things that people told us were so important and just one man one woman one form one art and practice life will take care of all the other things. So those are my thoughts on kata. Next question. What is the biggest obstacle you will face on your path in martial arts? And man, I got to tell you, this is one that if you can get beyond this, this is something I struggle with. We all struggle with it. But this is your single biggest challenge. The opinions of other people. You see, you've got to learn to keep the opinions of other people out of the equation. Here's the basic principle. The reason that it's so important that you not value the, import, the opinions of other people is because you have absolutely no control over the opinions of other people. 
the opinion of whether you're good in martial arts, this is a personal thing. This is an internal thing. The opinion of what rank you are, this is an internal thing. This is a personal thing. The opinion of whether you, you feel good enough and strong enough and, and want to come out and train and be outside and do all those kinds of things, or that very personal decision that you might have to stay home a little while longer, to keep yourself or maybe a loved one feeling a little bit better. These are all personal opinions. These have nothing to do with anything other than your relationship with what you believe. But so often what happens in martial arts is we're influenced by the opinion of other people. We do our art because somebody in our school or somebody in our work uh, has an opinion of us and we want to impress them. We do our art because we see the world as a scary place and it's frightening and I've got to defend myself against those people that might attack me instead of doing our art for the pleasure of the practice. And what does that pleasure mean? It's not the pleasure somebody else is taking by viewing me. It's the pleasure that I feel when I practice. There's a great story that truly illustrates this. And the story is really about Sifu Brown. And, you know, the Detroit area has been long known for a very aggressive area for martial arts schools. I mean, back in the 70s, there were even fights in many American cities between dojos, which is completely opposite of what really martial arts should be. But it was just that sometimes here in the West, the understanding of the deepest aspects of martial arts really didn't make the jump over the ocean. And so you had one school on one side of town hating another school, and another school on the other side of town hating another school, another school hating another school. Sometimes they would meet at tournaments and, and in a, in a high-spirited way fight it out. Other times it was verbal. But it could be considered by many a very negative time for the art. And if in those days you were to talk to all the great martial artists of the Detroit area, they would say things like, I don't like that one. I dislike that one. That one's this way. That one's that way. Except one thing. Except for Sifu Brown. Uh, well, no, no. We don't like them. We don't like them. We like them. Sifu Brown. We love him. Like, how could this be that everybody hates each other except Sifu Brown? They all like Sifu Brown. Why? Because when you talk to Sifu Brown and he talks about the other schools, he never talks about their opinion. He only talks about his opinion of them. Oh, you should see that master. He's such an amazing kicker. Oh, he's so good. I have so much respect for him. Oh, that one, his weapons. He's got the best weapons anywhere. I've been all over the world. I've never seen anybody like that school. And from his heart, he loves martial arts so much that everybody he sees that do martial arts are his brothers and his sisters. So it just goes back to illustrate this one incredibly important point. And here's the point. You have no control over what other people think of you. But you have 100% control of what you think of them. And what you think of them is what determines how you feel. And what you think of them, if it's positive and loving and kind and generous, in large part, those things will be returned to you, if not from that individual with other individuals that match the vibration that you are producing. Next question, how to be a good teacher?
So I kind of talked about this a couple of, of weeks ago, and I've been really lucky in my life. And one of the reasons why I've been really, really, really lucky in my life is I've been around some incredible people. I've been around some very, very tough martial artists, some of the toughest people really for their time on the planet. And I've seen some of those people really prosper. Now, I'm not talking necessarily financially, although some of them prospered well that way. I don't know. But the people that consistently prospered were those who never chose to push against or to fight against anything. They always chose to look at their practice. They always chose to look at their art as an enjoyment, as something that gave them pleasure. I mean, even some of the toughest fighters only fought because it was fun to fight. I remember Master Awad, great karate master from Cincinnati. He had a very, very simple way of putting things, but he could not have been more right. He said, Joe, I'll go anywhere on the planet. I'll fight with anybody. We will hit each other as hard as we want to hit each other. We will knock each other around as much as we want to knock each other around. And I'll do it as long as it's not personal. It's just for fun. See, those are the people that really have allowed their martial arts to bless them because they are not pushing against. Now, I will also tell you, as I've gone through my practice, I've been around other martial artists who spend a lot of their time trying to beat other people, trying to push against other people. And inevitably, those were the martial artists that ended up with the injuries, those are the martial artists that ended up with high drama, those are the martial artists that ended up with tough and difficult relationships, those are the martial artists that never really experienced the most important aspect of the art. So how do you be a good teacher? Well, what my teacher Esther Hicks says more often than not is your job is to find happiness and no one leads by words. You only lead by example. So you become the happiness and be the example of happiness that you want your students to follow. What do you teach? Martial arts? Okay. What do you teach? High school English? Okay. What do you teach? A dance class? Sure. What do you teach? Uh, you train new employees at the restaurant? What do you teach? You teach joy. You teach joy. You find joy and you share the example of joy with others. And in all of those tasks and 10,000 more, you will become the best teacher ever. Next question. What is the most important martial arts principle? So I talk about this all the time. Uh, I use the term law of momentum. It's really the, my kind of rephrasing the term law of attraction. So law of momentum, law of attraction. And what does that mean? It means that you get more of wherever you point your focus. You always increase wherever you point your focus. So how that applies though directly to the world that we live in today and, and it's very simple you know you, you don't have to teach certain things for example if you had a child and you held a ball you don't need to say hey Johnny just watch really carefully when I open my hand look the ball hits the ground right there are no balls falling up right but you never teach that why do you never teach that because it's so obvious it's right in front Johnny picks it up without your input for some reason, on an emotional level, on an internal level, when it, in regards to martial arts or regards to anything else, for some reason, 
I think as a species, we've sort of lost our way. Because if I were to take my hand, another principle, and put it on a hot stove, I would instantly pull my hand off of the hot stove. I wouldn't put my hand on the hot stove and discuss the merits of pulling my hand off or discuss with other people what that funny smell was, right? I would just instantly pull my hand off. But when it comes to an emotional level, when we see something and we begin to focus on something that's unwanted, that's not helpful, and it hurts, for some reason we've been taught that we have to confront and push against that very, very thing that hurts. And then what we do is we mentally put our hand on a hot stove, and then we try and pass laws against hot stoves. Then we try to gather a together in groups and try and lock up all of the hot stoves. Then we try and join various movements that want to give us the mental capacity so that we can be strong enough and big enough so that we can withstand even the hot stoves when all we really need to do is take our hand away. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is, guys, it's so simple. If it ain't fun, don't do it. It has to feel joyous. It has to feel good. And if it doesn't, Take your hand off the hot stove and change it around until it gets fun because that's how you get blessed. All right, next question. So th this is a good question. I think this was, was sent in actually last week. And the question was, in my opinion, what was what is the biggest misconception about what martial arts is? Again, what is the biggest misconception of what martial arts is. So here's a little funny story I'll tell you that will illustrate my answer a little bit. It really has to do with this idea of misconceptions. I actually put it up on Facebook, but based on the comments, I don't know if people were able to figure it out. It was almost like a little riddle because there's a little riddle going around my condo. So behind my condo, right off of my patio, we have very little grass because mostly everything, there's a fire pit and there's a pool and it's all this stuff. It's really nice, nice, very good community area. But I'm fortunate in that I have one of the only few patches of grass. Now it's a real small patch of grass, probably, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 feet wide by, or 10 feet long by five feet wide, something like that, maybe not even that much. But it's a precious piece of grass in an area where there's hardly any, so we're very glad to have it. We also have a lawn service and they come out every single week and they mow my patch of grass. But about a month ago, I started noticing that there's like this long strip in the middle of the patch of grass that they just keep quote unquote missing. They're not cutting the grass. And I've had neighbors over and we all look at it and they go, man, they only have to do this one little spot. Why would they miss this strip right in the middle? It's the weirdest thing. It's so obvious, right? And this has gone on for weeks. Everybody jokes, oh boy, they're coming. They're going to miss that strip again. Ha ha ha. Right. So one day after I'd meditated, I'm sitting out on the patio with my cup of coffee in my hand. And I look and there's a beam from the overhang that's above of my patio that is producing a shadow directly on top of that long strip of grass. And then it hit me. What was happening was the lawn service was in fact cutting the entire patch of grass. 
It's just that that strip was sitting in the shade the majority of the day. So after 24 hours or 36 hours, all of a sudden the grass in that section was growing and it appeared as if the lawn company was doing a bad job when it was only a shadow making the grass grow. So simple fun story, but my point is as soon as I saw that I realized you know, if there can be a misconception about something as simple as a patch of grass, I wonder about how many other false beliefs that we have that we see evidence that appears things are one way when in reality they could be completely different. And that brings me back to martial arts. Because most people, when they're walking in the mall or they see us practicing, they see violence. They see punching and kicking and striking and pushing against. They don't really understand the opposite end. The opposite end of that is it feels wonderful to be strong. It feels wonderful to be healthy. It feels wonderful to walk into a room and know that you can take care of yourself and your family. It feels wonderful to know that you're going to live longer and be healthier because you took the time to do the, the practice. It's not a question of whether somebody's doing martial arts or not doing martial arts. Here's the question, and it's a very important one. Are you doing martial arts correctly? Because if you're fighting, if you're pushing against, what will happen is, is I want to beat that one. I want to be bigger than that one. I want to be stronger than that one. Then always, 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 because you are pushing against, you will attract a bigger and badder and stronger one. And your lifetime in the park will be very, very limited. But are you doing it instead to feel good, to feel happy, to feel joyous? And that's what the practice is. So what is the biggest misconception? The biggest misconception is that martial arts is about violence. And the reality is, as Moriyoshiba used to say, it is truly the art of peace. It is the art of learning to be strong just for the sake of enjoyment, to be clear-minded just for the sake of clarity to be focused for the sake of focused and to be able to fight because it feels good to fight not to fight against anything but to be one with who you are and then finally the last question that i jotted down is what is meditation so many of you have heard this before but i will give you a quick outline of what meditation is and then we'll sit for 15 minutes together when you learn to meditate you learn to focus the mind. You learn to focus the mind on one thing, something very still, such as the breath. When the mind is focused, you begin to stop all thought. When you stop all thought, you stop all resistant thought. When you stop all resistant thought, you come to a place where your vibration naturally rises. You see, it's the negative beliefs that we have, those things that we're trying to push against, those things that we judge, those things that we are, are aggressive or angry towards, it's those things that are keeping us from our joy and our happiness and also like Jonathan Livingston Siegel, it's those very things that are really that pile that all the other goals are on. But when we learn to meditate, when our consciousness naturally raises, what begins to happen is we begin to understand that we can find joy just for its own sake. So when we still the mind, we become very sensitive, we are sensitive to our emotions, and then from meditation, we can choose whatever thoughts that we want to think so that we can use the most powerful law in the universe, which is law of momentum, 
to lead us to our hopes and dreams. Thanks for listening for this day's episode of Ohio Martial Arts Mind Power. I really appreciate your support and listening to the show. For information about what's happening in the dojo and plus the latest news on all the events and stuff, you can get on our mailing list, which is located at ohiomartialarts.com slash spring dash break. And also near the bottom of the page, I have all the announcements of all the things that are coming up in the dojo. Again, thanks for listening, and I hope you benefited from the show.